You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 247 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate, the awesome author and all-round fab chick. Alison Tate. (laughs) (laughs) You had to really think about where you were going with that, didn't you? I was trying to do alliteration and it didn't work out. Well, it's not easy really when you're doing A's. A's. A's are not very helpful. Alliteratively speaking. Anyway, I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What's new in Al's world? Um, Well, I'm recovering from my uh, book week tour last uh, last week. That was was, it. Look, it was really good. Like it. I mean, it's one of those things where it's kind of like um, it's great because you you get to go and talk to you know hundreds and hundreds of kids which is always highly entertaining and my sessions are quite interactive so we do a lot of you know ideas and you know I've got these kids coming up with these amazing ideas and all these kinds of things um so it's really good I I did have to navigate myself from you know um the inner west of Sydney to the four corners of Sydney by public transport which I have to tell you by the time I got to Borkham Hills on Tuesday um it felt like I'd pretty much mapped the world like I felt like I'd been around the world um that was pretty entertaining but, um, yeah, no, it was good. You know, I, I, and I took my banner, my enormous banner with me. So, of course, I'm dragging me all of my bits and pieces mm. for my talks and my enormous banner all over Sydney. And, um, but it was, it was good. Like the banner, the banner rocked when it came to social media pics and, you know, just giving, yes. you know what it does? It just gives those kids, you know, because not every kid in that room, if, particularly if you're talking to like 120 kids at a mm. time, not every kid in that room is hanging off your every word. It's true. <laughs> like I, I do my best, um, but sometimes they just need something to stare at. So the banner was fantastic <laughs> for giving them something <laughs> to, to stare at. at. Yeah, so no. were there lots of, um, did you meet lots of people, lots of kids dressed as Quinn or Gabriel or whoever? Well, from the Map Maker interestingly, Chronicles? no, because the days, so the workshop days that I did, um, because I did workshops and I did author talks. So it was a combination of two different things. Um, but they tend to run them not on book week day. And the reason that they do it, so book week day, the parade day is part of book week. But what they'll do is they'll get you in for your author talk or your um, or your workshops or whatever, often on a different day. Because as any teacher will tell you, uh, book week parade day can be a little bit nuts. Like everybody's yeah. in their gear and there's, you know, all manner of weaponry at some – it's interesting. Some schools weaponry. have very – Weaponry? 
Well, you okay. know, if you, if, well, if you go as a kind of a fantasy character, chances are you've got a sword or a bow and arrow yes. or, a, you know, something with you, although some schools do ban them. Like there is a um, – and I've seen – it's really interesting, so being part of the parenting network as well as part of the author network, mm. you get to see the, the various guidelines that go out for different schools. Some schools will not let you have weaponry of any kind and you have to carry the book. If you don't carry the book, you can't be oh. in the parade, oh. which means that you can't be – because they, they – there's – there are purists out there who get very, very affronted mm. by the, um, you know, by the, the movie characters creeping oh, in when there's like no a supporting book. or something. Well, when there's no supporting book, you know, they, yeah. they don't like it. Um, and then there's others who, you know, it's a free-for-all and if you turn up in the, in the you know, Spider-Man costume, then that's totally fine because, you know, it just depends on what the poor old parent can drag together at the last minute because that's the other thing being part of the parenting network you, you get to see all the tweets that are like <laughs> that are like I just this is at like 11 o'clock on Tuesday night I just found out that it's book week parade tomorrow <laughs> what am I going to put this kid in and that's when you need to have the handy go-to list of book characters yes. who wear normal clothes and yes. that's going to be so next year, my book week post next year. So this week, this year I did How to Be Gabe and Mary and all those guys from the Outer Band Cipher. Yeah. Last year I did How to Be Quinn from the Mapmaker Chronicles. I think that my next year's one, because I don't have any kids in primary school as of this year, um, mm-hmm. the end of this year, next year's one is going to be 12 characters who wear normal clothes that you can pull out of the wardrobe at 8 o'clock on book week morning. That's Love it. Be, Just like yeah. wear a label. Absolutely. <laughs> that is good. And that is going to be my contribution to the parenting you know, um, landscape going forward. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, good on you for surviving book week. I'm sure it was lots and lots of fun. And it uh, was. yeah, and that's it for another year, isn't it? Well, no, it's not it for another year because this week um, I'm off to more book week talks. Book week, because it's so incredibly popular to have authors in schools now for book week. Yes. Um, Various librarians and teachers will just shift their book week parades and their book week um, activities to a different week of the month or in, even in, right into September so that mm. they can get the authors that they want to come to their school. So I'm actually off to do some more school talks for book week this this week because they've just shifted their book week to this week instead of last week. And I'm right. actually going in September, mid-September, I've got another um, lot of sessions booked for a school that's just decided August is ridiculous for book week. They're mm. going to do it in September. Um, and next week. So it's week, book month. It's kind of book month, month, but it's book month. Yeah. All, it's actually book term almost yeah, basically. Right. Um, and next week I'm off to Brisbane Writers Festival. So I'm doing. Um, That's so cool. I know I'm doing three days of sessions up there, which are all sold out. I found out Woo-hoo! today. I'm so excited. I know. That's I feel, awesome. What are your sessions? They are um, the, their workshops and they're called find your writing superpower. And oh, yeah. uh, I know it's, it's pretty exciting. It's a great. Do you wear a, a cape when you do that? No. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't. But you I have do, one. So you should. I'm, I do have a cloak I could wear, but no, I don't wear one because it would just be something else for me to carry. You know, by the time I have the banner mm. and all the other stuff, the cloak is just one step too far yeah. for me, particularly when I'm flying interstate. I'm just, I'm actually not sure how I'm going to get my banner interstate yet. So I have a couple of capes. I should come to one of your sessions and wear and wear wear it. You can. You can be super Valerie. Yeah. We can be super Valenau. Super. Hashtag (laughs) Valenau. Find your writing superpower. Yes, it would be highly entertaining to do the session for adults. It's actually very relevant to adults as well. Like I do it for kids, but it's very relevant for adults as well. So um, we could do that. You know, if anybody wanted to come along to a hashtag Valenau, find your writing superpower session, you just let us know. (laughs) 
cool. Okay, done. <laughs> Hashtag. All right, so that's um, uh, Brisbane Writers Festival, which is on soon. Yeah, I love Brisbane. I think it's great. Yeah, it's next week. Yep. Mm. I'm, uh, cool. I'll am i be doing, I'll be, I don't know, probably as soon as we uh, do next week's podcast, I'll be getting on a plane basically. Yes. That's how it'll work. Anyway, so, so what do you got for us? Well, we want to give a big shout out to Maya from Australia and she left us a review on iTunes with a very, very exciting title called Just Signed a Book Contract. Oh, that is exciting. Congratulations, Maya. Go, Maya. So Maya says, I've been listening to this wonderful writing podcast ever since I took the plunge and started writing my first manuscript. I soaked up advice like a sponge as I varnished, painted, grouted and corked every book and cranny of our new home. Wow. (laughs) I love it. I listened and forced my children to listen as I drove uphill and downdale ferrying said children to sports, family events and holiday school holiday expeditions. I absorbed details on author platforms, bum glue, Mm-hmm. and pitching protocols as I planted and weeded my garden. And now, after two years of advice from Alan Val and four drafts under my belt, I've just signed a two-book contract with Alan and Unwin. Thank that you, so Alison brilliant. and Valerie, for your entertaining podcasts, fabulous advice and shared wisdom. Wow. Awesome, Maya. I feel so proud. Yes, clapping. You feel like a proud parent, don't you? I know. Well done. I'm so I'm so pleased. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Congratulations, Maya. And thank you so much for letting us know. And we're so thrilled that we have accompanied you through your renovations and your school pickups and all the rest of it. So brilliant brilliant thank you for for letting us know and of course if anyone else has 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on itunes that'd be so awesome because it really helps us in the rankings and it also makes us really happy and gives us the motivation to keep on going so it does um yeah let's move on now to the world of writing and publishing this week now the first cab off the rank. We're so excited because the Ned Kelly Awards were recently announced and Australian Writers Centre alumni, Sarah Bailey, who has been a guest on this podcast when we interviewed her about her book, her debut novel, The Dark Lake. Well, The Dark Lake won. It it, it won best first novel, didn't it? Very, very exciting. It is brilliant, exciting. brilliant, brilliant win. Um, so she won best first novel, The Dark Lake. It was um, it's the first in a series, and the second book is Into the Night. And um, like I said, we interviewed Sarah uh, in a previous um, episode of this podcast, and that book is riveting. I could not put it down. It was such a page turner. So congratulations to Sarah. She actually did creative writing at the. Australian Writers Centre, and um, and that gave her some tools and techniques and motivation to keep on going and get her book contract and write her her awesome novel. So well done! It is um, very exciting, and it's been storming the awards because she also won storming. the David for best yes, book. But do you know what I thought was really lovely too is that our presenter LA Larkin actually yes. gave presented Sarah with the award at the yep. Ned Kelly's. Brilliant, brilliant. Yes, and Eli Larkin is an awesome crime writer who teaches crime and thriller writing at the Australian Writers' Centre. So yeah. wonderful, wonderful feels all around. All the feels. 
all the feels. Now, just wanted to bring everyone's attention to a Radio National drama series, uh, kind of like a call out that the ABC is doing for writers who are new to the audio medium. And they're looking for submissions for an audio series for four to eight episodes um, that will go for about 25 minutes. And they're looking basically for writers to to kind of uh, try something different. You're, you're used to writing in, in print. Um, try writing for an audio series. Now, we'll put the link in the show notes for details um, that you can check out. And, of course, you can find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. The deadline for this, for this application, is Sunday the 4th of November. So make sure you check it out if you're interested in turning some of your story ideas into an audio series. Mm. Like that's pretty cool, huh? Something yeah, I was just thinking about it. I'm I'm just reading the link that you have sent to me to have a look at, and um, yeah, I'm just I um I've never thought about writing, you know, that way. But for an audio a, series, for an audio series, yeah. But it's quite yeah. an interesting idea, isn't it? Definitely, because I remember when I certainly when I was growing up, we used to listen to the ABC over breakfast every morning, and mm. it was every it was like a serialized. It was exactly this. It was a serialized story. So every my breakfast was basically just the entire story, and then I would be packed off to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind while you were a, eating your wheat bix. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no, I never ate wheat bix. Oh. I never liked wheat bix ever. Never. What did never. you have for breakfast? I have, I had, well, sometimes I had cornflakes, which I found incredibly boring. Mm. And um, I loved Frosties, which of course is terrible. It's, you know, I would never eat it now. It's full of sugar. Same with mm. crunchy nut cornflakes. Um, but yeah, I never really got into the wheat bix at all. I just thought it was eating cardboard. It is eating cardboard. I'm pretty sure we ate I, – I, I seem to remember we ate a lot of wheat bix because it kind of goes a long way. And I'll tell you what, I buy wheat bix by the kilo at the moment for my uh, youngest son in particular. So he's 11 and he's incredibly energetic. But he will come home from school and he will eat four or five wheat bix. Really? For his, for his afternoon. Yeah, he has cereal in the morning for breakfast. Wow. He likes cereal for breakfast. So he has mm-hmm. like the world's most boring cereal. I think it's like oat bran or something. Mm-hmm. So he has boring cereal for breakfast. And then he will come home from school and eat four or five wheat bix as well as having his fruit and his, um, you know, his crackers or whatever it is that he's going to have for afternoon tea. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing that I can give him that I know is relatively healthy and will actually – feel that kind of aching void of mm. nearly 12-year-old boy because he's just right. he's just endlessly hungry yes. and wheat bix is something that he – and he, he really enjoys. Like he's got the most boring taste buds. Honestly, Val, I can't even begin to describe to you how dull his palate is. Mm. Um, but so four to five wheat bix is pretty much, you know, like just he's very happy with that. Yeah, well, we have kilo boxes of wheat picks in this house because my partner eats them, but um, they're certainly not for me. One one thing though I, that I also also always associate this radio cereal, as in with not cereal. the, the, the <laughs> cereal that you eat, <laughs> the audio series, with is um, because towards the end of the each episode, that then my dad would also give me. Now, did you do, did you do this when you were little, or did your parents give you this a fluoride tablet? No, you didn't because no, we had fluoride. No, because we had fluoride in the water. 
Yeah, well, I got the water. Did you get – you got extra fluoride? Yeah, extra fluoride. So, yeah, I had to eat a fluoride tablet as well at the end of every breakfast. We had to have the vitamin C tablet in winter because there were four of us and the notion of uh, any one of us getting a cold was like filled my parents' heart with – terror yes. because you know once you've got one down that's your whole house gone yeah so we had to have the vitamin c but no we never had the fluoride tablet no oh, that's okay. all you it's all on you well babe. i don't know whether it's it was just me so listeners if you had a fluoride tablet maybe it was just <laughs> something in my area or something let, let me know i would love to know all right let's move on then you're involved in an awesome initiative um that's coming up aren't you al Oh, yes, I am. Um, so very, very excited to be part of this. The, it's the Authors for Farmers initiative, and it was mm. put together by the fantastic Josephine Moon. And you might remember we actually yes. interviewed Josephine, you know, I don't know how many episodes ago, but several episodes ago, we spoke to Josephine about her her fantastic books and stuff. And um, of course, Australia is having uh, terrible problems with drought at the moment. Terrible. If you're in Australia, you would know that. If you're overseas, you may not. Um, but we do have a bit of a drought crisis occurring here. And so a whole bunch of Australian authors have banded together and have donated 100 books for a monster raffle, uh, which is going to benefit drought-affected Australian farmers. Uh, the aim is to raise $100,000 through the sale of raffle tickets, which are $5 each, um, and all proceeds will go to buy a bail, which is the registered, you know, which is a registered charity for drought-affected farmers. First prize is 75 books. Second prize wow. is 15 books plus a $30 Dimmicks voucher, and third prize is 10 books. And authors involved in this include Leanne Moriarty, who has donated a copy of her brand new book, which is not, I don't think, even out yet. Uh, Josephine Moon, obviously, who's organising. Nick Earls, Monica McInerney, who is very, very popular, has donated um, three signed books. Sally Hepworth um, and a whole bunch of others. Like it's just really it, – it's, it's like if you wanted to build a library of brilliant Australian novels, um, mm. then this is for you. And I am so excited to be part of it. I have donated a copy of The Book of Secrets um, awesome. as part of this amazing to-be-read pile. So I um, I really hope that, you know, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. It would yeah. be brilliant if you would buy a ticket. You know, it's a fantastic prize for any bookworm. And, of course, all proceeds are going to – um, Australia's farmers. So Authors for Farmers, 100 brilliant Aussie books to be won and we will put the link in the show notes. Wonderful. Awesome. So another very cool book that we want to mention that listeners have an opportunity to win a copy of. So we have three copies of Best Foot Forward by Adam Hills. One of Australia's biggest comic personalities, much-loved host of Spicks and Specs and the hit UK TV show The Last Leg, Adam Hills' charming and witty memoir is a lesson in following your heart, being positive and discovering what makes you different, also makes you unique. And so if you would like your chance to win a copy of this book, then go to writerscentre.com.au slash win and um, just follow the instructions. Entries close on the 3rd of September. So that's Best Foot Forward by Adam Hills. Go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Now, I really like Adam. I think he's, he's, oh, me he's too. just really cool and funny and nice. Charming and, and, I think charming and witty is an, yes. an incredibly good way. And he just seems like such a nice bloke, doesn't he? Like he yes. just really seems like a nice bloke. I, and I loved Spicks and Specs. It was one of my favourite so shows. On so TV. Fun. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Now, did you know I went to primary school with Adam? 
No. Many, many, many years ago. So even then, in we were in fifth and sixth grade together, even then he was funny. Like he was, was he? The f- funny, yes. Was he kind of gawky? No, Back in those days? he was not no. gawky. He was cool, and I think he became sports cool. captain or or something. <gasps> really? And, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously, it's called best foot forward because Adam um, was born with um, without one of his legs, and um, he was just one of the sportiest guys around. It it never made any difference that he mm. had a prosthetic leg, um, and I remember, you know, many well decades later, he emailed me once, and he said, um, "I'm so sorry, I've been so busy, I've been run off my foot." Ha <laughs> 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 ha. There is. <laughs> and um, we had a school dance and uh, it was fancy dress and he famously, he, he doesn't hide the fact that he's a big fan of Adam Ant and always wanted to meet him and he eventually did meet Adam Ant. And he came as Adam Ant, fully, as fully Adam Ant as you could be. Fantastic. Yes. Lovely, lovely guy. So make sure you enter this competition. Best foot forward. Are you going to interview him for the podcast, Valerie, seeing as you have connections? I am wanting to. We are Good. trying Chase him to down. make it happen. Trying Chase to make him it happen. Down. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move on because the question I have for you, Al, is are you ready for the word of the week? <laughs> I'm so ready, Val. Could Hashtag not be so more ready. ready. Hashtag so could ready. not be more ready right now. Awesome. Because the word of the week this week is effrontery. That's mm. E-F-F-R-O-N-T-R. E-R-Y, effrontery. Have you heard of that word? I have, Val. I hate to, you know, burst your bubble, but I have. (laughs) But I'm sure there's many who haven't. So, you know, go forward. Well, this, it's not, it sounds like affronted when you're, you're affronted by something, meaning to Mm -hmm. offend. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you should be saying like, get thee to an affrontery, you know, but it's not. (laughs) Get thee to an affrontery. That's actually highly amusing. <laughs> it means insolence or barefaced audacity. So you might say she has the effrontery to ask all her wedding guests to pay $1,500 so she could have her dream wedding. Oh. Yes. I, I know the effrontery of which you speak. I read about yes. that this morning. Yes. That is a story that's going viral at the moment of the bride who wanted all of her wedding guests to pay $1,500 each so she could have her dream wedding and um, called off her wedding because not enough people responded. And it was um, fully, outrage, fully, fully outraged, fully outraged. Yes, she was, yes, she was most affronted. <laughs> she was affronted, yes, because she, she had the effrontery to ask the guests to do that. Yes, very good. Did you see Al. where we went there? That I like so that. Good. I like that. Oh, dear. All right. So um, shall we move on to um, our writer-in-residence this week? We should. Let's do that. We should. Okay. So I had a chat with the lovely Kate Nunn, whose latest book is The Botanist's Daughter. And um, it's a – well, she can tell you all about the book, but it's a great story that I think is doing very, very well. So let's have a listen to Kate Nunn. So, Kate, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Valerie. It's lovely to talk to you. 
Congratulations on your book, The Botanist's Daughter. I am seeing it everywhere and it's just obviously taken off. Um, For those readers who haven't read the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Um, It's the story of uh, two female botanists, really, um, the first of whom uh, lives in the late 19th century in England. And uh, she's charged by her father to go in search of a rare plant that uh, has both dangerous and very beneficial properties. Um, And then in contemporary modern day Sydney, a young woman is uh, renovating her grandmother's house. And from behind a set of bookcases, she discovers an old metal box. And inside that is a portfolio of dazzling watercolors uh, of uh, botanical drawings, uh, a small bag of seeds and a diary. And she sets out to find out what they might be and how they could have got there. It's such a great premise and very intriguing. Um, I have to ask, are you obsessed with botany or and, and flowers and, and that sort of um, thing? Not enormously. I've always loved plants and flowers and gardens. And my grandmother and my mother were amazing gardeners, me not so much. Um, But I have such lovely memories of spending time in the greenhouse with my grandmother and the potting shed and her talking to me about the names of all the plants and flowers. And to me, they just sounded like poetry. So Mm. I guess I've always had that in the back of my head. Yes. Mm. So I understand that you were actually walking through the botanic gardens in Sydney and you came across a sundial and that kind of started off a chain of events that made you, that ended up being this book. Is that correct? Uh, Yes, it is. Mm. It was about um, three and a half years ago, and uh, I took my daughter for a a final mother day, daughter day out before she was about to start school. And we took the ferry uh, from Manly across to the Botanic Gardens in Sydney um, and had a picnic. And it was a very hot, sultry day. And we wandered up uh, towards the Rose Garden. And then next to the Rose Garden is the Herb Garden. And there's this beautiful sundial with herbs sort of cast in bronze all the way around it. And I put my hand on the warm metal and it was honestly like a bolt of lightning. I just had a vision of a young girl in an English walled garden with a very similar sundial and knew that that was that I had a story there somewhere. And I spent the rest of the afternoon in a complete daze, um, wondering what it might mean. And then over the course of the weeks to come, I I just thought about it and I had it in the back of my head. And I was in the middle of um, editing my second book and writing that. So um, I wasn't ready to start on a new story completely then. Um, And then there just became a a trail of breadcrumbs, really. I happened to be noodling around on the internet one day and I read this incredible story of a a plant that had suddenly sprung up in an English suburban back garden and the owners were really quite alarmed because they figured they found out that it was a a class B drug and it's um, illegal to grow it in England and they couldn't understand how it could have sprung up until they realized they'd been throwing out bird seed and that that seed had germinated um, and the seed came from Chile and it was this particular plant that that I do refer to in the book called the devil's trumpet Uh, and so I followed that further and I realized that that would be the plant that my um, botanist or my, my illustrator was searching for um, and that she would need to go to Chile to find it. Mm. And so the book has these two timelines, one of Anna, who is the woman in modern day Sydney, and one of Elizabeth, who is in in England in the late 1800s. And so they have very distinct um, feels and very distinct voices. How did you, because, you know, the, the eras are so different mm. and, and obviously geographically they're so different. How did you get into the did was were there anything that anything was there anything that you did to get into 
the mindset and the groove of each of these timelines when you tackled, when you started writing each of them? Yes, there was. Uh, initially, I wrote one chapter of each and, and was struggling a bit with that. And I swapped a couple of messages with the author Kate Forsyth um, uh, because I knew that she had written um, dual timeline novels and yes, I really admired yes. them. And she gave me the fantastic advice of, of just tackle one timeline at a time and immerse yourself in the one story, which is what I did. So I started off by writing the Victorian era story. And once I had finished that, I wrote the, the modern day story. And it helped that because I really struggle to, to, with words and I fight for every word on the page. So to write two kind of 40,000 word stories seemed to be a lot easier than one 90,000 <laughs> word story. I kind of fooled myself. Um, and yes. then at the end of that, I wove the two together um, and they actually fell together quite naturally. And I liked the fact that there were, um, there were th- things mirrored in each story and echoed and, and then mm-hmm. contrasts as well. And I find it interesting. So I think that's a, that approach makes a lot of sense to tackle one timeline at a time. But when you did weave the story together, um, and that's great that they came to na- that it came together naturally. But what? Where did you? How did you decide where to split the story and 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 and, and you know kind of jigsaw them together in that way? Um. Actually, um, the, I, they're almost alternating chapters uh, apart from initially and then towards the end where I think initially I needed a bit more of the uh, historical story and then towards the end a bit more of the contemporary story. But what I had to be really careful to do was that I didn't give things away in one narrative before yeah. they'd had a chance to be discovered in the other. And that took a fair bit of concentration uh, and application to make sure I didn't do that. Did you find that you had to rewrite anything if you discovered any yes, of those or did there, you yeah. – right, okay. There was and a so, little bit of rewriting, not a huge amount though. And so the um, historical story is something – I mean obviously you've lived in Sydney so, you know, you know what modern-day Sydney is like but you have not lived in in um, late 1800s England. Did you – do anything to just coming back to that whole because it's very it's a very strong um, and it's very clear incredible um, you know point of view. Did were there things that you did to put yourself in that era? Did you surround yourself with you know botanical drawings of the time or <laughs> or anything like that? Or, and and also the um, language that you've used in it, the dialogue is 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 very um, authentic to that, well, seems very authentic to that era. It's certainly very credible oh. for being in that era. So h- how did you capture that? Um, thank you. I did a, a, quite a, a good amount of research before I started writing. Um, and so I read um, a lot of books ab- about Victorian, the Victorian era and very specific areas of that. Um, and then I also was really fortunate to come across uh, a diary written by a woman probably about 50 years before my story was set. She was a sea captain's wife and actually lived in Valparaiso for about six months. Um, and her descriptions of the flora and the form of the area and and the journey she went on were absolutely invaluable and I guess some of her voice might have come through as well in terms of the tone and the language used um, I've always read a lot of historical fiction so maybe I had um, you know subconsciously picked up and but I was very I did want to make the language more formal uh, and then much more conversational and and relaxed in the contemporary strand so that there was that contrast why did you choose to have two timelines 
um, because I love the way that um, history can be present uh in, in the modern day. So if you have an object, you, you know, you, you can hold it and think, gosh, somebody actually used this 100 or 200 years ago. Um, and, and it brings it, sheets it home to me far more uh, than just a, just a more abstract story that's set in the past. Mm. Uh, so I, I think I wanted it to, to really be, you know, that, that these things still existed today or could have existed today. Now, let's just take a few steps back and um, – just give if you could just give people a just brief potted career history before you became an author so just, we can just see the lead up in your career Sure. Um, I grew up absolutely loving books and reading um, and went to boarding school at the age of 11, where there was very little to do. But the the boarding house had a a very good library. uh, And I quickly read my way through all the pony books um, Mm -hmm. and then had to be given special permission to get to read in a senior library, which by then was um, kind of early dystopian fiction, John Wyndham, The Day of the Triffids and uh, and then Solzhenitsyn. So I was quite a depressed (laughs) teenager after that. Thankfully, I discovered Jilly Cooper and things got a bit better. Um, yes. And I um, quite different I, 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 to and Yes, <laughs> uh, I read. Sorry, I um, I loved books and reading so much that I went to university and studied English and publishing, and went to work in book publishing to start with. Um, ironically, because I had that underlying feeling that I wanted to write more, I moved from book publishing to magazines where I could be a features writer, and I did that for a number of years. And I ended up um, as an editor of a number of magazines, one of which was Gourmet Traveller Wine magazine. Um, mm. but there had always been a, a voice in the back of my head saying, Kate, you just really want to write. But I thought other people wrote books and I wasn't nearly clever enough, um, <laughs> to even have the courage to start. It wasn't until I was in my early forties that it really became a case of now or never. Um, I was freelancing yeah. by that time. I had two young girls, uh, freelancing as an editor and a writer. Uh, and I had six weeks between projects. Uh, and I thought, actually, this is your moment, Kate, this is your time. And, uh, I had an idea for a story and I just sat down and started writing. Um, and that book a year or so later eventually became my first novel, Rose's Vintage, not without a lot of rewriting, I might add. So um, Rose's Vintage is set in in a vineyard. Um, Did that come out of your time at Gourmet Traveller Wine magazine? Was that the absolutely, (laughs) absolutely? I was lucky enough to to visit a number of wine regions, to meet the people there, and I loved the sense of community and the stories uh, and the environment. So it just became um, absolutely the the perfect place to to set my first novel and indeed my second novel. Wow. And so you had these six weeks in between projects. How much of the book did you write in that six weeks? <laughs> Not a great deal. Um, enough to get me started and to get me excited about the feeling of having written, I think. And then after that, I would uh, I would get up early in the morning to write. I would get myself ready for bed and lie in bed and write for an hour at night and try and get a thousand words done. I would take myself off to the library at the weekends and my husband would take the girls to the cinema. Um, I just, I would squeeze it in where I could. Uh, I sat on the side of swimming pools um, and the side of soccer pitches uh, in my car and wrote. Was that your first attempt at writing longer fiction? Absolutely. I'd written a couple of short stories in the months leading up to that. Um, and I had uh, a small amount of success in being shortlisted for a couple of, of local competitions. And that gave me um, a bit of a, an encouragement, encouraging boost as well. Mm. Um, but yes, it, it really was actually. Yes. I mean, I was. So, that's astounding. 
So you, that's your first um, attempt at writing longer fiction and it became Rose's Vintage, your debut novel. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, look, I was lucky in that um, uh, my the agent who took me on uh, gave me uh, a 45 minutes um, instructions on the phone when we first spoke about what needed to change, including changing the uh, nationality of the protagonist and uh, and um, various other things. And then she said, OK, well, you don't seem to be daunted by that. Go away and change it and then we'll see how we go. Um, and so it was really useful to have a, her input. I, I think I started reading a few books on craft as well to try and get an idea of how to write fiction. I, I obviously had written a lot in my professional career, but I still didn't know how to tell a story in fictional terms. So mm. I really needed to learn that. And actually, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. Yes. I mean, writing features, which, you know, could be 800 words, 1500 words, if you're lucky, two and a half thousand words. Words, is so different to writing yes. a novel. So, and you get a lot more uh, instant gratification in a sense when you're mm. writing features because you're you, you can complete things and then you see them published. Yes. So, what was it like um, when you're so used to that to mm. then write something that's going to take months, years, even? Yes. Um, I'm quite stubborn, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, I had two little post-it notes on my um, computer, one of which said play big, not dream big, but play big to remind myself that, you know, to take it seriously and, and to actually try and make it happen. Um, and then the, the other one was just the word believe. And if ever I doubted myself, I would just look at that and, and repeat it almost like a mantra to myself to, to keep going. I love it. Believe that's that's that makes so much sense. So you've changed gears a bit because um, the first book, Roses Vintage, and then the second book, second novel, Angels Share, were both set in vineyards, and yes. um, and but but this one is a little bit of a departure from the first two. Was that a strategic decision, or why did you um, decide to do something different? Uh, I think I just wanted to challenge myself a bit more. Um, and then the gift of the idea came to me. Um, and uh, it, it just seemed like a natural progression in some ways. Uh, I, I really believe that sometimes the story chooses you um, and you just have to do your best to, to honor it. Okay. So with this book then, when after you got the idea and you started writing it, you knew this is the story that I'm going to write. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about um, th the writing process and your routine for it? Um, did you have a certain word count that you wanted to reach each day? Was it something that you set aside, you know, I'm going to write it in these five months or whatever. Um, and did you have any daily routine to get the words out and onto the page? Um, I definitely set myself a word count every day. Um, the feeling of, of achieving small goals every day, it really helps to keep me going. Um, and, uh, I would, uh, my, daughters go to school, I would try and get some exercise done before they got went off to school. Um, and then if I didn't have uh, any freelance work on, I would sit down and write and not get out of the chair until I'd achieved that word count. Or even sometimes when the, the story was really flowing, I was able to write a bit more, but I've never been able to write thousands and thousands of words a day. So a thousand words a day is, is, a, is a, a reasonable goal for me. Um, but so that was your word enough, count? 
That was your weekend yes, goal? Yes, a thousand, okay. pretty much, a thousand words a day. Um, and if I hadn't achieved it by the end of the week, I'd make myself do it on the weekend. I used to um, kid myself and say I'd just go and sit in, you know, probably hide away in my bedroom for an hour. And I called it the hour of power. Um, and I'd usually find that, you know, an hour and a half, two hours later, if nobody disturbed me, I was still there and still writing. Um, so, so that was helpful. Uh, I do have to say that the hour between two and three before my daughters come home from school or I have to go and pick them up is always my uh, most productive because I'm under under the pump and it has to happen. Yes. And so did you, when you were in the throes of writing then, did you, are you the sort of person who rereads what you wrote the day before or did you just plunge straight into the next bit of the story? Um, usually I do a bit of rereading and and sometimes if I would have had to have leave, left it for a couple of weeks, if I had another project or something, um, I then have to go back and reread from the start. And I, I tend to, you know, fiddle and finesse and make changes. Um, what that does mean is that by the end of a first draft, it's there's not too much rewriting and restructuring needed, um, in the second draft. I also have a really, I got myself a whiteboard, um, and I, I, I divided it up into sections so I knew what was happening pretty much every five to 10,000 words and where the story was at and, and, and whether my character was facing difficulties or things were going well, just to try and get a bit of rhythm and momentum in the story as well so that the pace was right. So if you got that whiteboard, did you – so basically you plotted out the entire story before writing it? Not not so much. It was as I was writing it, so in fits and starts. And, and once I got more into the story, I was able to see ahead a few chapters and know where that was happening and where the signposts were. Um, I think I, I wrote it and I knew what was going to happen in the end, but I wasn't sure where the story would take me from the beginning. Um, and I usually start writing when I can – envisage the first opening scene and I know where the story starts. Yeah. So you, essentially you did know what was going to happen then and you just didn't know how you were going to get there. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yes, and, exactly. And presumably the, with the whiteboard you did one story at a time. It's not like you had two timelines on the whiteboard or, or did you? I did actually. I had two timelines oh. on the whiteboard, um, each in a different colour. So right. for each section I knew what was happening in one colour of the story and then in the other. Right. Now, you've made mention that you said, uh, if I don't have any freelance stuff on. So does that mean you're combining fiction writing with freelance feature writing? Um, I think up until uh, about eight or nine months ago, yes, I definitely was. Um, uh, I now am fortunate to be enough to be in the position where um, – Occasionally, I will do some freelance work if I'm approached, but uh, for the most part, I'm focusing on uh, fiction writing. Okay. Now, you mentioned that two, two to two o'clock to three o'clock, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, before you, the kids come home from school, it's like <laughs> witching hour. You get heaps of stuff done. I can totally yeah. understand that. Does that mean you didn't write? at night? Like I'm interested in this because a lot of writers have limited time because they have families. So yes. I'm interested to know whether you, you, you know, kids come home, you cut it off kind of thing. 
Pretty much now, yes, because um, I've usually achieved what I need to during the day. When I was doing a lot more freelance um, editorial work, I would have to write at night sometimes, but I'm better first thing in the morning. Um, my, my, I'm a bit more awake, so I try not to unless I have to, but I am quite goal-oriented, so if I want to just get something done, I'll, I'll make the time and find the time. What kind of research did you need to do for this book? You know, whether it's botanical, whether it's pe- research of a historical period, what, what kind of research had to be done? Um, or, uh, both of those things, actually. So I started off with um, general history books from the library. Um, I spent several days at the State Library um, because they have an amazing collection uh, of books. Um, this uh, diary as a primary source that I found was was quite astonishing. Um, I managed to find old photographs online of Valparaiso in the 1880s, so I could see what buildings were there. Um, I uh, I managed to contact a uh, a forum of shipping enthusiasts uh, who were able to help me determine exactly what type of ship uh, Elizabeth might have sailed on and the port it would have wow. left from and the the route it would have taken. Um, mm. I found Pinterest actually quite helpful because there were lots of um, useful pins of botanical illustrations. Uh, I also visited Kew Gardens a couple of times uh, mm-hmm. uh, during the course of writing the novel. Um, and while I was there, there were a couple of exhibitions of uh, not only botanical art, but of plant hunting and plant explorers. And uh, I, I was able to visually see for myself the, the equipment they used, the tools they used. I read letters um, from Kew's archives of plant hunting and the the tribulations and the trials they underwent. Um, I'm just trying to think what else I did. Um, That's heaps of research. Yes, it was over the course of writing it as well. Um, So I was able to add to things. Um, I went to Cornwall uh, last Uh year, which was towards the end of the book, but I had visited Cornwall many times for um, holidays as a child. But I went back there and actually I was researching – that next year's book as well. So it was, I was able to include um, material that I discovered there. So did you do the bulk of your research before you started writing or was it a concurrent kind of thing? No, most of it beforehand, certainly the historical um, uh, information and, and the basic background as to Victorian life and the Victorian pharmacy and um, uh, Victorian gardens and all that kind of thing. And uh, I remember my husband raising his eyebrow at me because I'd, I'd leave the house with a stack of books and uh, go down to the nearest ocean pool with my notebook. And he didn't really believe me that I was working hard, but I was. <laughs> That's interesting because you went there with a notebook as in, as in a a paper notebook is that correct yes. or uh, yeah yes. and, and and so i'm interested in how did you collate the and and keep the research that you needed so that it didn't get lost in your yeah. brain somewhere or just <laughs> physically lost somewhere yeah. How, yeah. what was the uh, practic- practically speaking what was the physical process of keeping the research that you needed um i had a notebook um, and I, I'm afraid it wasn't terribly methodical. And then from that notebook, I transfer everything that uh, onto a Word document that becomes my notes for the book. Um, and it's it's not terribly well organized. Um, but I think that process of writing it down and then typing it out, somehow it lodges somewhere in my brain. Um, and uh, and I keep that notebook because um, my characters might stop talking to me at odd hours of the day and, and I hear a line of dialogue or I, I think of something or I see something and I want to include it. Um, and then, 
at the end of the book, I print out that document of notes and I go through it and cross everything off and, and make sure I've included it or have I remembered where it goes, that kind of thing. Yeah, right. And so do you also write the manuscript in Word or do you use? Yes, I'm afraid I do. I have looked at Scrivener <laughs> and uh, run away screaming. I'm, I, I am petrified of losing material. Um, it, the writing doesn't come easily. So, um, yeah, so I have a, a Word document for each narrative strand um, and then I combine it towards the end. It's not yeah. ideal, but it seems to work for me. Yeah, sure. What was the most enjoyable thing about writing this book? Oh, that's a very good question. I think um, what I wanted to do was really make my characters quite distinct and to have the idea that um, they might really have been born in each other's century, in the wrong century. And I love that idea that are you born in the right time for you? Um, and so Elizabeth in, in Victorian times is is very headstrong. She's she, um doesn't like the strictures of life then and she really sort of um, walks her own path whereas in uh, uh, the modern day strand in Australia Anna is is quite is more subdued and she's quite quiet and um, but no less courageous but and, and the idea of courage being yes it can be these great grand adventures or it can be something uh, as as mundane as just having the courage to get out of bed every day and I like the contrast of those mm. two characters, I think. And what was the hardest thing about writing this book? Um, I'm not sure. There, there was one particular thing that was hard. I guess it was really wanting to make sure that I got it as correct as I possibly could. Um, so checking and double-checking things and trying to find out the information I needed. And when yeah, you that, first I mean, thought, that was different to writing historical fiction, which I had never done before. Yes. So when you first um, thought of this book, did you have, did you tell an agent or a publisher first? Um, and what was their reaction? I talked to my agent about it, um, and because because also I have a new publisher, Hachette, who wasn't my publisher previously, yeah. um, and uh, she was fantastically encouraging and says, "Oh yes, that sounds great." Um, and I, but I didn't actually show it to her until I was finished and had done a second draft, um, yes. because I just I wanted her to come at it completely fresh. Uh, and mm. she was fantastic. She read it over the course of a weekend, which was was wonderful. Um, and said, "Yeah, she said you've done everything I could, you know, anything, everything I could have asked of you, which was really nice mm. feedback." Um, and then awesome. actually, my publisher at Hachette, Rebecca Saunders, read the book yes. um, when it was on submission, and she actually rang my agent on a Sunday, and she said, "I have never done that before." And my agent said, "I've only ever had one publisher ever ring me on a weekend before." So she loved it straight away, and her enthusiasm for it was just absolutely heartening. Yeah, yeah, and um, I have to say, the I know one should not judge a book by its cover, but I have to say this is pro pro possibly the most beautiful cover of the year. It's oh, just gorgeous. Kind. Don't you think? Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's just yeah. um, it's stunning. I, I For some reason I imagine you in your home surrounded by these beautiful botanical drawings. Whether or not that's true, <laughs> don't shatter my, <laughs> you know, that's okay. in my imagination. Um, have you learnt more about 
plants <laughs> so oh. that to and applied that knowledge to your own garden as a result? Yeah, well, I take a bit more care now, that, that's for certain. Um, yes, I, I learned a huge amount and that was really very interesting to me. Um, not least of which is the fact that um, you can germinate seeds that are thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years old, yeah. which uh, was crucial to the plot of the book. And I was really pleased to be able to find out that, yes, it, it was possible. Yeah. And so um, what's next for you? What are you working on? You mentioned that there's another book. Yes. Um, I'm actually in the copy edit stage of the next book, which is it's quite a nice position to be in, yes. having gone through two structural edits with it. Um, yeah. It uh, has a similar dual timeline. It's set in the 1950s and in the present day. And it is about a, um, a cache of, of unsent love letters found in an old suitcase. Uh, on a remote yeah. island and uh, somebody finds them and has to discover why they're there and why they were never sent. Love it. And finally, what would be your top three tips for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position like you are one day? All right. I do. I have prepared this earlier. Um, <laughs> I think, first of all, be prepared to do the work. Um, yeah. I have had people say to me, oh, I think I'll try that. And it's just <laughs> not something you can do half-heartedly, write a book. Um, you need to learn your craft. And that's something I actually wasn't that aware of at the beginning. Um, there are numerous online courses, uh, for example, at the Writer Center. Um, there are books on craft. If you, if you want to go down the academic route, you can do um, academic uh, courses. Uh, but you really need to, to learn how to do it, uh, I think, and be prepared to work hard um, and prioritize yeah. your time. Uh, make sacrifices because something is going to have to give to fit in writing time in around your, your life, really. What did you sacrifice? Uh, time with my family, I think. Yeah, right. Very definitely. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I sacrificed sleep quite, but <laughs> it might have come close. <laughs> okay, um, so we have you have to do the work. Yeah, what second? My second one would be to read poetry. There is so much you can learn about the use of language, about being precise with language, about syntax, about cadence that will help you become a better writer of, uh, of prose. I heartily believe that. Do you have a recommendation of any particular poets? Any poetry that speaks to you, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely anything. It can be from any, any era, any style, um, just to, to, you know, absorb it, I think, is really helpful. And I've, I've loved poetry since I was a teenager, really, and always read it and found it useful. Um, and then my third tip would be to just banish doubt ignore that little voice that <laughs> says what you're doing rubbish i know i know that says that it's rubbish that says that you're wasting your time um because that will lead you to give up and and if you if you give up you don't finish the book you never know what might might have happened with it what techniques do you suggest to banished out because it is easier said than done so was there anything that you did to help you do that Absolutely. Do you know, I actually, and, and no word of a lie, I listened to this podcast. I found that incredibly useful and heartening to know that other people are out there scribbling away um, on their own. Um, awesome. I would uh, try not to think about it and just say, we'll just write the next 500 words. Just write the next thousand words yeah. um, right. and, and tell myself that it, you know, it doesn't have to be for anything other than just the satisfaction of doing it. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, All right. on that note, congratulations on the book. I have no doubt it's going to be the hit of the year. Um, and thank you so much for your time today, Kate. 
Oh, thank you very much, Valerie. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There you go. That was Kate Nunn. And, of course, um, one of the things that uh, is very exciting is that The Botanist's Daughter has just been selected as a Women's Weekly Great Read, which is a fantastic thing because you know it's once you get on some of these lists it really really helps you as an author doesn't it Al? Yeah it does I, I think it's it's kind of a twofold thing because it gives you like as a writer it's that, that little kind of ping of endorsement that yeah. kind of makes your makes your day like frankly let's just let's put that straight right out there it just really makes your day but also from a just from a from the perspective of you know that all-important discoverability that we talk about so often um, about the fact that you know like you getting your book published is one thing but getting your book discovered by readers is quite a different thing um, yeah. so you know like when my book was recently named on one of as one of better readings top 50 kids books it just put the book in front of a whole different audience that may not have actually, you know, discovered That's it right. via other means before. So it's kind of like it's a it's it's not, you know, wholly within your control in the sense obviously you write the best book you can um, mm-hmm. and then cross your fingers and hope for the best. Um, but as far as as part of a marketing, you know, thing, it's it's a it's an invaluable tool because it is that yeah. little just that little zwing of endorsement from somewhere else. Um, and obviously with Women's Weekly, with Kate's book, like it's a it's a very um, credible source, you know, as is better reading. It's a very credible source, yes. and so it just gives now, your which book one that of little your books, bit of an extra. Which one of your many books was that, Al? Oh, that was uh, the Mapmaker Chronicles. So, book okay. one of the Mapmaker Chronicles was on the top cool. fifty uh, better reading kids uh, books, um, which was, you know, a really like really exciting moment for me. Big, big yeah, day. Fantastic. So, yeah, it's good. Cool. It's very good, and I'm sure Kate right. felt exactly the same way when she saw when she saw her. Yeah. Sticker. Very exciting. All right. So congratulations to Kate on all levels. All right. So what's happening with you in this coming week? Now you're you're still doing book month. Well, I'm and... still doing book month and then I'm, I'm also preparing myself to head off to Brisbane Writers Festival oh, next week. Right. But I think we will speak again before I go. Um, and, yeah, and, if, you know, it's just, you know, all the things. It's Father's Day this week. I've got a very exciting gift lined up for my husband, but we can't talk about really? that because, you oh. know, just in case he listens. Okay. Yes, it's. Yes, it's actually from Procrastipop, but shh. Oh, <laughs> all right. So I did early Father's Day. Did you? I did it, yeah, the week before. <laughs> My family does this all the time. We always do early Father's Day and early whatever, yeah. Well, what's know. happening on Father's Day that everyone's so busy? <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, it's the, I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's the avoidance of the crowds. And that's why we oh, do it Oh, yeah, that makes mm. sense. So you get your, get your booking in and get yourself sorted. Yep, and At my the dad got I get um I gave him a massive I know this is not very healthy, but I gave him a massive Daryl Lee bag. <laughs> oh. As in, my dad. The that's dad full bag. of 
Yeah, the, that's full, obviously, the not actual, just the bag. The actual dad bag where you yes, can buy? That's, yeah, actual. yeah, my dad loves those dad bags. Mm, there you go. Not, not that we're endorsing Daryl Lee on any level, but you can't go wrong with a dad bag, right? Yeah, can't go wrong with a dad bag. <laughs> All right. We're not sponsored by Daryl Lee or anything. We should be. You know what I love, what I'm obsessed with at the moment, speaking of Daryl Lee, let's just have a moment. You know how I go through various crazes of of confectionery? So my current thing, which I am trying, what I'm I'm actually trying to do is make myself sick on them so that I don't ever eat them again because that's the only way I can avoid them, is um, the dark chocolate-coated bullets. Oh, okay. Oh, so good. They are yeah, so, so see, good. I'm and not I'm obsessed. a bullet person. You're not mm. a bullet person? I don't do bullets ever. No. Well, it's, the builder is generally speaking not a bullet person either, but he likes them. So I'm having to mm. share, which is okay. going to be a slower process for making myself sick of them. But, mm. you know, like at the end of the day, oh, they're so good. If you're a bullet mm. person and you haven't tried them yet, dark chocolate coated bullets, get in there. They're so mm. good. Daryl Lee. Anyway, not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. Not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. Yep. <laughs> so we're talking about cereal and chocolate this time. We're really not on target, on track. No, are we? well, but but I have to ask this question now, and because I'm, you know, losing my memory, I may have already asked you this, Al, mm-hmm. but I'm going to ask you anyway. If you were to write a book, a non-fiction book, about the troubled Daryllee family, what would you call it? Have I asked you this question? Uh, no, I don't think so. <gasps> okay, awesome. Okay, so okay, so I'll just repeat it. If you had to write a non-fiction, non-fiction book about the troubled Dara Lee family, what would you call it? I don't know. I'm thinking like sticky and nutty. I'm thinking, <laughs> um, wouldn't you go there? <laughs> sweet. sweet. <laughs> I'm thinking brittle, peanut brittle. I'm thinking, mm. I don't know. You'll get there. You'll kick yourself. You'll kick yourself. I'm going to kick myself, aren't I? Um, Mm. um, um, Oh, Rocky Road. Yes. I would have to call it the Rocky Road. (laughs) Would I? Is that what I'm going to call it? That's that's what it's called. How good am I? Yes. I should totally be a writer. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally what it's called. Is it really? (laughs) It is. It's really called that. I'm reading it. Is it good? Are you enjoying yes. it? Yes, yes. I remember I watching. I remember watching the just. Okay, we are, we got, we are going to finish now. Okay, but I do remember watching. Remember they had did that TV sh- uh, series on families on um on you know noted Australian families and they did Daryl Lee in that one. Did you did oh, you ever watch that? I didn't watch it, but I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah, so good. Really interesting. Anyway, oh, Rocky okay, Road. Here we go. It. Yes. <laughs> Not sponsored. Hashtag All right. not sponsored. Um, where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, please connect with both of us in the podcast listener group on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there. And it's such an awesome group of people. Awesome. It is an awesome group of people. Do you know that we have 2,431 members right now? 
That's fantastic. It is very yes. exciting. Come and Come join, and join us, us. But it's really, really cool. All right. So thanks for listening, everyone. And we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.